Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hi, listeners. My name is Alana Amor Coven. I am a content contributor with Feminist Book Club. And today we are talking to Carly Thorne, the Canadian-based comedian and YouTuber famously known as Uncarly. How are you doing today? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. We literally got on the call and talked for like, what, 50 minutes before we like, <laughs> to start the podcast. <laughs> well, I'm very happy that you're here um, and that our listeners can get a little bit of your sunshine on this uh, fourth day after our rights have been oppressed. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> love it. That yeah, it's such good vibes. <laughs> and right on theme with that, our first question is: What is feminism to you? I mean, I think feminism to me, yeah, great question. Coming right off the rights, <laughs> just being stripped. I mean, I think feminism is so hard to say. I feel like I have a lot of I have a complicated relationship with feminism in like learning from when I was very very young being like very very hardcore. And you should be hardcore. I'm still hardcore. But I think it was very much like hardcore for the optics of it, hardcore because I believed it but I didn't understand things. Um so as I get older I feel like more and more I'm trying to engage personally with like texts and um different points of view within feminism and making sure that all of my viewpoints are intersectional and things like that so I feel like it's a very interesting journey and that I went from like being so outspoken to being not less outspoken but more intentional with my thoughts and feelings because I think it's very common especially with white women to just be like this is bad like it's the same energy as those people like at the Roe v. Wade protests that were like, we're going to adopt your baby. It's like, think before you just think for a second though. Like, just think, like, just think, you know, like, what are you doing? Um, but I guess feminism to me means like engaging with issues in like gender oppression and searching for equality and equity as it regards like intersecting with other groups, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I would say I would say pretty definitely, especially especially given uh, things like abortion rights and things like that. Mm-hmm. It, it really is starting to, or it, it really has always um, sort of overlapped. It's just a matter of when our society and our culture has decided to acknowledge that aspect of that. Hundred percent. When what when did you decide to sit down and actually break down feminism in sort of walk through that journey that you just described? I think it was first year university because I had moved, I moved a little bit when I was growing up. So I was born in Toronto where I live now, but I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland in the States. 
And then when we moved back to Canada, I was in Mississauga, Ontario. And those are very, very suburban, um, generally like affluent, upper middle class, things of that nature. So there's not, a, although they were all, they're both pretty liberal places. It was again, what we were discussing where it seems like um, they were liberal, but again, it's like not engaging with the text because none of those things really matter to them. They don't actually affect their lives. Talking about abortion, you could say like abortion is abortion. People should have to choose or whatever, but it's like, yeah, but regardless of whether or not Roe is overturned, you can get an abortion because you are affluent, whatever, things like that. So then when I went to university, really, it was just like, it wasn't like I was taught by these people, but I was just introduced to so many different viewpoints and experiences. And for me, that made me realize, and it's almost a seems stupid to say, and it is stupid, but like, it's very, very concrete evidence that people's experience are very different than yours and how easy your life has been in a sense of being like, there are, although in the ether and I am, I am consciously aware that my life is easier just because I'm aware of the systems that oppress other people. But seeing that concretely really made me step back and be like, I need to like, think about what I say and understand the nuances of what I'm saying, especially again, also when it pertains to social media, like we're in such a unique situation where like people can post before they process or think in certain regards, right? You, th you see that with death, like somebody can die and people are posting about that person's death before they even like metabolize what they want to say. Um, and it's the same thing with causes and not all of them, because there's lots of things that it's very, very easy to be like, well, that's wrong. And we know it's wrong and whatever. But then there's also things where it's like, you can think about this and learn about this before you have an opinion on this. You can listen and still be in support of people who already have an opinion and a strong opinion and have a lived experience in this, but you can also just like listen to them and read about it and then be like, got it. Now I have a fuller understanding of this before I become like the poster child of this is wrong. You know? I think that there is somewhat of a pressure to be, especially almost directly because of social media to very quickly come out and be like, okay, I'm a feminist, I'm not racist, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. um, especially when these things happen. And there's also, I feel as though people who are in more privileged situations, whether that be class, race, gender identity, whatever, um, may also feel pressured to be allies, but I feel like there's not really an outline for them. They're not, no one mm -hmm. ever sits them down and is like, hey, girly, uh, here's a book you know a lot of times when we have these discussions it's like how come you didn't pack me up and it's like these people don't have the tools to do that yet there's a society that's telling them that's also they're, they're a bad person if they're not speaking out on yeah. it as well and so for someone who has a platform as big as yours and somewhat of a spotlight that comes with it do you ever feel pressured to be like the feminist booktuber Oh, a hundred percent. And I do try to consciously avoid it because I, the way that I've been able to deal with any level of, you know, the things that come with a heightened platform, because it is kind of a trip being like, people are aware of me and I'm not aware of them. If that makes sense. Like some, I could be walking down the street and somebody could know who I am and I would never know that they know who I am, which was very weird for me to metabolize. But in regards to feminism and kind of being like the feminist booktuber, the way that I try to operate is being like, I'm not going to make everyone happy, but the one thing that I can do is at least operate 
to my standards and my ethics for my morals. Um, so something very, very early on that I decided to do is be like, if I, if I'm wrong, like I'll just apologize. Like I'm going to be wrong. And I think the thing that you see where people make mistakes across the board, whether it be like having an uneducated opinion or saying something that is problematic, the issue that people often get in is not necessarily the thing that they say it's the reaction to being educated. A lot of times they're like, well, actually I meant this, or I didn't know or whatever, as opposed to just saying like, oh yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that. I'm sorry. And taking it down. <laughs> like, and I, as a viewer, I was conscious of that. So I was like, cause I would watch YouTubers and be like, why would you not just like take this video down and apologize? Like, it's so easy. It'll save you so much. And it's ego and pride and whatever. But I decided to do that. And I also decided to be like, I don't want to be the kind of person who posts without thinking, which does mean like people will DM me less so now, but more so like right in the midst of the pandemic when we were all really like going through it um, about, and this would, it would be like about like political events happening in the world and be like, why aren't you speaking out about what is happening here? Why aren't you speaking out? And I would just respond and be like, I am reading, like I'm learning about it before I post about it just to make sure that it's okay. But I think it is strange, like, and this is something I see a lot in comedy, especially with uh, comedians of color, because the comedy community has been so overwhelmingly white for so long, is that when they are, you know, booked on a show, they're expected to do comedy that speaks about their experience, right? Like it's supposed to be like, for you as a comedian, you need to tell us what racism is to you. Uh, what was your experience growing up like this, you know, as opposed to like, where like white comedians are just allowed to talk about whatever they want. If they want to talk about like poop, they can't, you know, they're allowed to exist outside of these like expectations. Um, so I, and I, and that's ultimately not constructive because people should be allowed to talk about whatever they want. They should be allowed to focus on whatever they want. So I think when it comes to feminism and me, I try to metabolize that being like, not everything I do is feminist, not because I don't, I'm not a feminist, but because like, I, I'll, I'm, a, I'm a layered person with a lot of experiences and like, I'm not right all the time. Like there are going to be things that I think and do that are ultimately not correct. I also think like the conversation of feminism is weird where people are like, well, is wearing makeup feminist or not feminist? And it's like, well, we got bigger fish to fry right now. Like <laughs> we just got more to do. Like we'll deal with that when like rights are restored, especially because feminism is such a conversation that's so like North America centric or Eurocentric as well. Like there's just no, they're like, what is makeup feminist or not? And you're like, women are kind of like dying though. <laughs> like they're dying. So like maybe we can fix that. And then we can like come, we'll circle back to the makeup thing. Do you feel a similar pressure in your comedy? Because also there's very famously um, an imbalance of female mm -hmm. representation in comedy as well. And we, I think broadly speaking, Americans mostly see that through like how we talk about female comics associated with SNL. Um, is that something that you experience in your work? Yeah, it's very interesting because it's something that I experience in my work, but almost always way more related to audiences than other comedians. Hmm. I also don't do a lot of stand-up. I do a lot more sketch, which is like a much more accepting environment, whereas stand-up is like oftentimes can be very, very toxic. And a lot of those things that we think about, you know, like Amy Schumer is obviously problematic, uh, but people also like eat her alive. And I think that's partially because she comes from the stand-up world where 
it's just vicious. Like it is just a very vicious environment. So when it comes to other comedians, I feel incredibly supported and I don't necessarily feel that pressure because most of the people that I work with and I associate with, they're overwhelmingly men, again, just because comedy is so male dominated, are like very open to listening and learning and having, and also like having a sense of humor about it. Like I remember I was having a conversation with a couple of comedians, this must've been like a few months ago and they were talking about a movie it was that Adam Driver medieval movie. I don't watch movies, so I literally don't know. <laughs> but it was like, he was, it's Adam Driver and he's in the medieval times. And at some point he is like, there's a rape in it and he raped someone. And they were like saying, um, oh, that needed to happen for the movie or whatever. And I was like, okay, let's just like back it up and like discuss that. And then they both, like all of them, like clocked what they said. And like, we're laughing about it being like, yeah, yeah, that's stupid. And I think that that's a ultimately very constructive conversation to have just being like, oh no, you're right, I got it. And not being like, I am so, so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Just like being a person about it is nice. Um, but with audiences, it's very weird. Like, I think there's a pressure from both ends. Like you said, like a lot of times people are like, women aren't funny, women are this, women are that or whatever. Um, and a lot of times people on the other end of the spectrum are like, your comedy has to say something. And I don't agree. Like, I don't want to, I think it's almost like for me with comedy, the most feminist thing I can do is perform like a man and be like, my comedy is about whatever the hell's going on in my life. It doesn't. And sometimes what's going on in my life is very real lived experiences of, you know, when you're in a relationship as a queer woman, but like perceived as entirely straight, like there are funny things like that, that you can't discuss. But other times I'm like, I just want to talk about slam poetry. Like, honestly, I just think slam poetry can be funny. And I want to make a sketch about that. You know, like it could be that intersection. So it is funny. Cause I do feel like sometimes in my brain, I rage against being like, I don't want to say something. Cause there's such a pressure, especially when you're learning to be like, and this is my like sketch all about the gender pay gap. And you're like, Jesus, like, I don't want to think about that right now. But also like, I'm now like thinking as I'm talking in like every single <laughs> so much of the stuff that I write is me being like it's crazy how men want to fuck kids or whatever you know what I mean like I have we were working on this sketch recently that's just about all of these rock stars and how people love rock stars and like so many rock stars from like the 70s and 80s just have songs being like my girlfriend is 15 I love my 15 year old girlfriend and how we kiss and you're like so you like wrote that and recorded it and produced it and released it it's wild so like stuff like that it's like I come from that as a way of being like I just want to point out really messed up stuff. Um, and then I think back and I'm like, no, I guess that is feminist <laughs> a little bit. It just happens that way. Cause I guess it does paint your experiences, paint the world. And there's so many men in comedy specifically who are like, oh, the grown age of 45. And they're like, you know who I want to date right now? You know what I really want to date? Oh, just like an 18 year old. Like I want to date an 18 year old girl. And also she's my student. Like I'm teaching her and she's my student and I want to date her and stuff like that. And stuff like that makes me so angry. Cause I think a lot of us have experienced situations like that. And we had been talking before the podcast about how we both give off energy of like, don't fuck with me energy, like don't mess with me. Um, so I use that in turn to be like, if somebody's even going to step near this 18 year old, I am going to fight fists, fists up. Like I'm going to scream at you because why do you need to do that? That's such a long rambling answer. I'm so sorry. I have ADHD. <laughs> I've, I've been like noticing with this. I'm like, I need to reel it back. <laughs> two, two notes. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin is a perfect example of that. And there, is actu there are actually quite a few um, like miniature documentaries um, oh, okay. following his relationship with like this 17 year old girl. 
And if you know anything about Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin sort of established like the rock star, like TVs are being tossed out of a window sort of thing. So when I learned about that at the age that she was, I was like, wow, you were absolutely balling. But also to be in that environment with a dude who's like 35 is weird for lots of different reasons. My second note, is that the Adam Driver movie, the female lead for that, um, and also the director, like the costume designer, someone who was like very on the hands with the movie as well, um, sat down and sort of broke down that story because it's a real, it's a real thing that happened. Um, and what it was was that like Adam Driver's character was like an upstanding gentleman and he, you know, force himself upon a woman of a man who was also of power, whatever. And the thought process was like, oh, we have to battle it out. And whoever dies is who God decides is like the, the noble man or whatever. And what um, the female lead, and I think, I think it might've been, someone wrote a book about the events and then they did the movie, but her and the writer, I believe sat down and were like, in the text of history, this woman has nearly no voice how do we bring her into the story? And they were like, she was very well educated. She spoke like three different languages, blah, 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 blah. Because as much as the story and the historical aspect of it is framed around these men, it is her story. It is an event that happened to her. So I think the fact that that conversation was had and that was the comment that was had amongst your community or within your group of friends is, is really, really interesting in context of what actually happened. That's so interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, like I said, I don't watch a lot of movies because I have <laughs> no attention to it. I watch a lot of movies. I don't watch any Oscar-y movies, you know, like a big serious movie. So that's really interesting to learn to talk about. I think that's a conversation we have a lot. Because again, I know I don't know a lot about film, but I do know a lot about just like <laughs> representation and being th saying things like, and that's a topic I'm very passionate about because I think, especially if you read a lot or you consume a lot of media, there is an overwhelming persistence of this theme that is like a woman being brutalized is a plot point or character development and we're not going to see her as a person because we're not going to see the fallout beyond just being like that was pretty bad or whatever you know like it's it's very strange and I think obviously I, I think it gets me upset because I oftentimes find that the people who are having these conversations saying it has to happen are people that have no means of it they haven't experienced it or they haven't even whether it's you're the person who's experienced it or you've witnessed it or you've been conditioned from such a young age to fear it um it's a different experience entirely and that's not to say that men cannot experience sexual violence they of course can i just find that people who hold this certain type of belief oftentimes that belief comes from not having that experience right when you're picking books to discuss mm -hmm. or to read even in your your just your casual pleasure reading and you know that there's some aspect of you whether it be mentally or on your channel that wants to discuss these things all the different intersectionalities of, of reading feminist texts how do you go about the books that you choose and what books you choose to speak about on your channel yeah that's tough I think it's hard because sometimes like when you have a platform, it's different than when you're just reading because the books that I read for pleasure, um, 
doesn't really matter. Like if I just want to read something and think about it and not even have to form a full opinion on it and just be like, wow, I experienced that. That's wild. Um, that's great. But when I'm reading certain books on my channel or discussing them, I have to make sure that I have a fully formed thought that is educated enough that I feel comfortable sharing it because my analytics for my audience are relatively young. Like they're not young, young, but they're about like, I think the mass majority of my audience is from like age of 27 to 16. So that 16 and younger audience, like I think that I have a, as a person who is, they are watching, I have a responsibility to say things that are valid, especially because in the book space online, it is so performative across the board. It is absolutely ridiculous. It's a lot of people being like, Amazon is bad. And then like, using Goodreads or whatever. And that's different if you are just a consumer. If you are just a consumer, you know, I am not here to tell you how to consume or not consume because like at the end of the day, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. And, you know, some people don't have the means to do a lot of other of the things that are maybe more ethical. But when you are a book influencer, you're in the book space, there's a lot of people like trying to cash in their little like, they're like woke points and being like, I'm so smart. I read so much without actually engaging in like the actual effects of their actions, right? Um, they just wanna seem like a good guy or a good girl who thinks a lot. Um, so when I go, how I go about it is I try to pick things that I feel comfortable sharing and I feel comfortable discussing. And I feel like I can speak from experience or not experience, but I can speak in a authentic way about the experience being portrayed. Um, because nobody needs like to see my take on, if there's a book about an experience of a trans woman, I can speak on, you know, what the book it means. And through my research, do I feel like the portrayal is authentic and dignified and good? Um, but I, I'm, what I'm not going to then go is say like, <laughs> and to me, this felt really real. It's like, you don't get to say that. That's like not my place to say. In regards to books like A Little Life, um, if I were to go back now, I would never read that book on my channel. I would never do that because although I think that that book has a lot of interesting questions about sexuality and violence and trauma, I don't feel like me reading that book and introducing it to an audience is entirely ethical because when you read that book, I got triggered like nine times and I'm an adult. Like I read it when I was maybe 21, 22 and the depictions of self-harm and the depictions of sexual assault were so graphic that it made me sick and nauseous constantly. And like, I was very triggered by that book. Um, so I wouldn't go back, like I would go back and never introduce that. But that's again, an example of like, we're not perfect people. You're going to make mistakes. But I think as I get older, the more I realize, like, I don't want to introduce people to texts that I feel like are that triggering for no, not for no reason, but you know what I mean? It's not like, I don't know. There is, this is happening. So, uh, a couple years ago, I think when around the time that the Harriet Tubman movie came out, there was okay. a lot of conversation, um, around like people of the African diaspora being like, we're kind of tired of black pain movies. And I feel the same way about queer stories as well, where a lot of what was queer representation up until, I mean, in the last two years has been like, we are getting our asses beat. Uh, we are murdered. We are unhappy. Um, 
trying to discover, trying to figure out your sexual identity is a painful, lonely experience. When, when I reflect on my personal story, which of course isn't going to be the same as anyone else's, uh, but I was like a kid and being like, she's cute. And then I will like continue my day. And there's like, there's represent, there's space for that where you can be representing somebody's story and accurately telling their story without limiting it to pain and oppression. And in the same sense, women are often, a lot of our stories are, oh, we're sexually harassed, sexual violence. Uh, there's some dick in the office who is stealing our ideas and going to the, the CEO and claiming that they're theirs. Like that's a lot of what is presented um, as like the, the female story. How do you feel about how women are presented in, in literature in that way? And where might you want to see it go? Or where do you feel like would be a fun, what would be your ideal uh, like feminist story? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I think personally for me, I'm not interested in those stories anymore. I think they're, are they valid? There's a time and a place for them. And I'm sure that they matter to a lot. I'm sure a lot of people are still interested in learning about that, especially if you maybe haven't experienced that. And like these stories and me too, it was like the moment where you were like, oh shit, like, whoa, women have it hard. But for me, it's like, I remember saying this in a video a while ago because I read a book called This is Pleasure by Mary Gatesgale, which was basically framing a sexual assaulter in the office and him getting like canceled through his perspective and then his female friend's perspective and how she reckons her connection to him, things like that. And it was very well done. And I liked it because it was at least a new take as opposed to being like, I was harassed at the office and it sucks. Cause like, that's true. And that happens, but also like, I don't know. I think if you're a woman, a lot of the times you've lived these, you know, it's been like this. Um, So while, when it first came out, I was very, very happy that like we were discussing it. I'm at the point now where I'm tired of it because I'm like, yeah, it's been like that. And this has changed a lot but it still continues to be like that in a certain sense. And I want to escape. Like, I don't want to read about a man stealing woman's ideas. I don't want to read about things that I don't want to read about assault. I don't want to read about things like that and nobody caring uh, because that's real experiences. Some of which I've experienced, some of which people close to me have experienced. And I don't want to be reminded that the world is shit all the time. Sometimes I just want to be like, they're thriving. And a book that I read recently that I liked that I think I would love to see more of is Happy Hour by Marla Granados, just because I feel like that book really dealt with having bad things happen to these women. Um, There's a lot of instances where class plays a big role in the people that they're hanging out with because they hang out with people who are very, very rich and they themselves are not. Um, So there's, it's not like all rainbows and unicorns and it's all fun all the time, but at the end, it's ultimately a very optimistic book which it feels again, like the, this, the where I want to see literature go with women um, and those stories of being like, bad things can happen. We're not going to deny the reality of the world. Um, but ultimately, and I think the way that a lot of people metabolize big traumas that happen to them, it's like, I have had so many traumas happen to me. And then I'm just like, and here we go. Like, let's do the rest of our life, you know? And I think that's true. That's a real authentic take. That's not everybody's experience, but being like, bad things can happen to you. Bad things will happen to you. Um, but you're going to, you'll be okay. Or like you, or whether or not you're still dealing with that, you can still like go on. Like there's a, in happy hour, there's a scene where she talks about how she got an abortion. Um, and it's literally like two paragraphs and that's it. And she's like, that was, I had to do it on new year's Eve. And that was 
shitty. It didn't feel like it, 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 my body was in pain going through it. Um, and then that's it. It's not like, I think about that baby every day. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, you can experience bad things and still like have a full life and experience the full range of human emotion. I would also love to see it in the classic style of like just a huge, uh, a woman voyeur. I want like a Nick Carraway or like a W Somerset mom, like narrator who's witnessing these people do fucked up shit, but it's just like a woman witnessing, you know, rich people be problematic or witnessing a family fall apart. I feel like so rarely do we see just a female perspective or that's, I shouldn't say that like a woman or a femme perspective on just things happening. Like so rarely are stories that are not about gender identity told from the perspective of a woman for no reason, if that makes sense. And I'd love to see more of that. That's something I've never really thought about, but I think would also be like a very natural way of short of sort of presenting that lens of a woman's perspective on very normal things. Yeah, I have one last question for you. I mean, a lot less heavy. Uh, <laughs> what's next for you? Wow, that's heavy. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I feel like I'm. I've been joking to my friends recently that I'm in my early retirement era because I'm in a chiller moment in my life. I feel like the last two years I've been really, really grinding and working really, really hard. Um, and now I've woken up and a lot of things have happened personally, not in a bad way, but have just kind of like made me realize my own mortality and how like I, nothing is guaranteed. So I'm like, I wanna really experience things. So for me right now, it's still doing YouTube. I'm really happy to be back at YouTube, but I um, have like left a job I'm doing YouTube. I'm writing a book, but I don't know if anyone will ever see it. If nobody sees it, that's okay. <laughs> um, doing comedy, touring my comedy show, and I'm doing a little bit of acting. I've booked a couple of things, nothing huge, but like just trying to do a million different, just do all the things that I've ever wanted to do. And like, I don't know if I'll ever have kids. I don't know if I want kids, but I try to live my life in the way of being like, if I ever did have kids or grandkids, I could be like, I did some wild stuff with my life. Like, I just want to experience all that. I don't want to wake up and be like, oh shit. Like I always said, I wanted to write a book. I always said that, but I never did. I want to like be able to say that I've done it all, you know? Well, that's really exciting. I hope that even if you don't see your book, that you're happy with your book. And I'm excited to see you potentially on the screen somewhere. Um, where... As, as far as your comedy and your YouTube and everything, where might listeners be able to find you? Mm -hmm. If you want to hear me talk about books, and I do some other just commentary stuff, live my life, but the majority of that is books. You can find me at YouTube at Uncarly. So it's U-N-C-A-R-L-E-Y because my name's spelled different than the regular Carly. Um, if you want to find my comedy, I have a comedy TikTok that's Uber and Clonk. <laughs> Um, and that's where we do sketches. And then you can also follow me on Instagram at Carly Thorne. And I post about all the shows that I'm doing. I'm doing some fun ones in uh, July, August, but I'm always doing shows. And you can always just message me too and be like, my partner and I are in Toronto for the weekend of July 22nd. Where can we see you? Stuff like that. I'd love to have you come out. I could maybe comp you. It's a fun time. All of that will be in the show notes. Leanna, thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, Thanks for having have me a wonderful day and thank you very much thank you Woo.
Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, Red Woman is a dangerous creature, creature. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.